Hello, and thank you for downloading the third episode of Retrograding. It is the third of four that we are releasing for launch day. So excited to have you guys here with us. Uh, some shameless plugs and notes before we start. You know how this goes. So we are very new, so we'd like for you to like and share our Facebook page and share our episodes with all the 80s and 90 kids that you know. If you could, if you enjoy the show, give us a five-star iTunes rating. All that stuff is going to help our show grow. Uh, secondly, as always, our music is done by the wonderful Dominique Barnes. You can find her at Dominique A. Barnes on SoundCloud if you'd like to contact her or know more. That's going to do it for notes on this episode. Our fourth and final episode of Launch Day will be released at 2 p.m. today, so I will talk to you then. Let's go. This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks at our favorite childhood movies. This week we are looking at Brave Little Toaster to see if our nostalgia is warranted. So, Sarah, you were the one who picked this movie. Do you want to give a brief summary of the plot for people who haven't seen it in a while, people who have never seen it? Alright, so Brave Little Toaster is a movie that came out in the late 80s based on a 1980 novella. And it is about several characters, the main character, a toaster, a blanket, the piglet of our story, a lamp, a radio, and a vacuum. And after these characters all live in a summer cabin, and after finding out that the summer cabin is being sold, they decide they're going to go on an adventure and re-find their owner, also known as the master. So they go on an adventure through the woods, and... Then they get almost murdered about 12 times in an appliance shop where they try to almost get torn into pieces. They get almost killed, like, just commit suicide in a swamp for a while. And eventually they make their way to the new house of the owner, where they are almost murdered again by <laughs> the new appliances. They, they meet some, some old friends, like the, their, uh, the old TV and such, but they then get thrown out a window into the garbage and get taken to the dump. For the last time, they almost get murdered. Because there's <laughs> a, about, like, ten almost death scenes in this movie. It's a running theme. It is a running theme. Um, they're taken to the dump. And while they're at the dump, the their old friend, the TV, does finally convince, because he can semi-using his TV powers talk to humans, he convinces the master and his girlfriend to look for appliances at... I don't even... Ernie's Discount. Oh, it's a really long name. It is... <laughs> but it turns out to be the dump. He gets the owner to go to the dump, and well, the appliances are almost killed by, like, the most vindictive junkyard magnet I have ever seen, eventually he finds them, also gets attacked by the magnet, and almost dies. But they are all reunited... And they get to go live with him in his college dorm. And everyone lived 
happily ever after. The end. The end. Except for the sequels. All right, let's go on to games. <laughs> Just kidding. And then there were two more sequels, and one was actually, like, one goes to Mars, and one is, like, a yeah. mid-quel. How no, is actually... the next one, they go to Mars? Also, that one was also based on a book by the author of the original, so... Because, like, the first one, they are besieged by Mother Nature. I don't know how well they're going to fare in a zero-atmosphere environment. Maybe better, know. actually. Well, they don't use they oxygen, have... so I guess they're okay. Yeah. Maybe but, maybe they'll do better, but it seems like I, a wild jump. It makes a little more sense if you think about the fact that it was originally based on a 1980s novella, which was conceived as a children's book, but not originally published as a children's book. It was published in a science fiction and fantasy magazine. Oh. They didn't think it would be well-received by children, so it wasn't originally given to that audience. It was called A Bedtime Story for Small Appliances, and the sequel, the the Mars sequel, was also based on another short story by that author. Okay, because I, I had seen the, uh, the Bedtime Story for Small Appliances, and I had assumed it'd be something like a goodnight moon story saying goodnight to devices, you know, coaxing children into sleep. No, actually, it's, there's a few differences. The ending's... The biggest difference, and I don't think the other appliances try to kill them, but a lot <laughs> of the plot is pretty much the same. It's pretty close to the book. Well, speaking of plot, you brought up the TV, and I want to talk about the appliances in this movie. Uh, there are several things that change as the movie goes on. The rules I mean, are not stable. Yes, and that's so important in animated film, uh, that you set up your rules in the first act and you stick to them. But, like, it's never clear whether or not they need power to move. I thought uh, the same thing. Yeah. That was the first it's thing I wrote down. It's never clear. Because uh, they needed it originally, but then they don't. Yeah. And they can move small distances without it. They need it for the vacuum to pull them, but the vacuum can move without the power. Well, at the very beginning, the toaster unplugs himself. It's kind of confusing. and dies also with... and explodes. The battery does not explode. Well, it, it makes the lamp explode. <laughs> yeah. No, but it makes the lamp... Well, the... well yes, the lamp adds because a right lightning rod to recharge their battery, which is not how that works. Your, the explodes. battery should have exploded, for sure. Should Death have, attempt number it... 25. <laughs> yeah, it's that's kind of what I enjoyed about the film, is that it's fun to live in a universe where things act according to the way children think they should act. <laughs> uh, but... It was also unclear as to whether cords are dangerous or not, because there is one scene where Vacuum is saving Blanket from a tree, and it's a really cool scene, because he uses his cord kind of as a grappling hook, shoots it up over the branch, and then sucks it up, riding the tree to the top to bring Blanket down. But the very next scene, he is choking on his cord, because he is foaming at the mouth after seeing the river for the first time. My assumption, it wasn't that the cord itself was the problem. It was this weird vacuum cleaner version of having a seizure. And the joke was the don't let him choke on his tongue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's why it was doing that for no other reason was just to make a seizure joke. <laughs> well, there are several bad jokes. The lamp character exists solely to do lamp puns. Uh, the lamp is the worst. 
Yeah, the no, is a moron. no. But the there are really good references, though. I love the radio. Yeah, I, I love John Lovitz. Don't get me wrong, but every other character of the five has the moment where they save the team. Uh, let's see. So the toaster is at the very end, saves the master and the rest of the team. The blanket creates a fort. That settles an argument between the team. He's also vacuum... apparently psychic. <laughs> yes, vacuum cleaner goes into the river to save them. The lamp recharges the battery so they can keep going, and the radio does nothing. He directs He's just... them. He's their navigator. <laughs> oh, he points one direction, which is wrong, and leads them to a cliff with a, a water fountain. Water well, fountain. It's, it's, water it's going the right way. He just didn't know that there were obstacles. <laughs> It still got them to where they were going. Uh, but I thought but John Lovitz just basically plays the radio version of himself. Yes, I really liked all the punt, like the crazy jokes, though. Like the first one that I remembered was something there. They were being scared somewhere in the lamp, or no, they were trying to make up their minds about something, and they wouldn't tell the lamp what was going on. And he said, "You know, I don't like to be left in the dark." Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those grown moments. Uh, but you brought up the radio, and it's another thing that isn't quite clear. Because both he and the TV are the devices that can pick up signals. But for the uh, the radio, it's never quite clear whether he can pick up the signals and play what they're broadcasting, or whether the broadcast has to be performed in John Lovitz's voice. Because a lot of times, he'll pick up something, like a baseball game or a recording, but it'll be John Lovitz telling it, and other times he plays <laughs> Tutti Fruity on the radio, <laughs> and it's totally not him. It's a lot of Roosevelt references? Yes. Wasn't it? <laughs> I think he's like an old-timey radio, I guess. Yeah. This movie takes place in, like, 1987. Yes. Here's a question for you. How old are these devices? It, what was confusing to me was that all the pictures they have is of a little kid, and that's how they all remember him. But suddenly, at the end, he's going to college. Right. And, like, in that picture, that's another question I had. He is maybe eight years old, maybe ten. And so, like, they haven't seen him for around ten years. So they're at least that old. You gotta imagine that they were hanging out with him into his childhood. So are they teenagers? Teenagers? Are they 20-somethings? Why is the baby still a baby? Because they're inanimate objects and they have no concept of age. But just think of how annoying that would be. Having something you have to take care of, somebody that's going to cry constantly and oh. never grow up. Speaking of the blanket crying, one of the times the lamp is the like the biggest moron is the blanket's crying and the lamp is, lamp is like, hey, so so the car, was it him? And the blanket is just <laughs> losing and the lamp's like, oh, so it wasn't him. Because <laughs> uh, the lamp does not understand tact. Not at anything. all. I have a note here written, for a light source, this lamp throws a lot of shade. Wah, wah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what it, I was going so for. so dumb. So dumb. Especially man. when the, uh, the, the blanket is making the fort for him, and the toaster finally decides to be nice after they all shunned him the first night, which was harrowing to watch. The The lamp is just like, I don't know, all of a sudden he's just nice to him all of a sudden. It's a little weird. He doesn't it it quite is get... a little weird. Because you're just like, yeah, I just decided to be nice now. Well, why were they mean before? 
Like the, they're Blanket awful. goes to every single one of them just wanting a snuggle buddy. And you think the toaster would be okay with that. But the toaster shuns him as well. I don't know. Let's see. So another note I had. I love the character design for the vacuum. I oh, love the that vacuum? they made him a neat freak at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the, the grumpy kind of uh, old man character plays very well in this. The vacuum is my favorite favorite character he had some great lines and he's just great at the very beginning when the air conditioner has like commit suicide basically (laughs) and has a meltdown and dies he says something about something about oh he died in the vacuum cleaner just goes he was a jerk anyway (laughs) (laughs) bringing up the air conditioner so the reason the air conditioner explodes is that he gets mad because they remind him that the master could never play with him. Are these devices the master's toys? I, I guess he was the only one that really did anything with him. Then. Right. How harrowing of a childhood is that where a toaster is one of your favorite toys? Also a vacuum cleaner. Toast? Yeah, what... And his family wasn't poor. This was their second home. And no one cares about the mother. Even later, that other lamp is like, I don't want to stay with this mother. Nobody wants to be anywhere Just near the mom. This kid. They all want to go with the son. Which... I bought you. A possible fan theory I had about this was that the, uh, the boy is a technomancer. He is causing these things to come to life. Now, there are other ones they meet, but it's another repairman. I think anyone who can repair devices in this world can bring them to life. Well, he does fix the toaster at the end, so maybe he was like, he's like an electronics whiz, and maybe he tinkered with them a lot as a kid, and so that, that's why they're so bonded to him. It's because he, know. like, put them, took them apart and put them back <laughs> together as a kid. Maybe. Who knows? That would be pretty interesting. I have a lot of notes that's just the lamp is a moron. Oh, yeah. So of the team, the uh, the toaster is the leader. He's he's the Tommy Pickles. Yes. Because there's one part very where he much like, so. like ropes the broom and like rides it down and I'm like, the Tommy Pickles. He has a goal in mind, but he has no idea of how to fulfill it. He is the business manager of the group. This is where we're going. Somebody get me there. And he's like, I'm going to figure it out with my, my knowledge of ridiculous schemes. The blanket is kind of the emotional connection. The piglet. Yes. The very sweet child. Ooh, uh, I think the I radio and the lamp really only exist to fight with each other. They were kind of the weak links in the chain. I mean, I you kind of need that for the conflict in each scene. But, like, honestly, they could have done this with just the toaster, the blanket, and the vacuum cleaner. And you notice that the lamp and the radio, going back to all the terrible puns and jokes, like, they were the ones making all these references that, as growing up as a kid, I wouldn't have had any idea what they were talking about. Because there was one... When they were floating around in the river, he made a, the radio made a reference to Moby Dick, which I wouldn't probably have known as a kid. And um, when they were trying to figure out where they were supposed to be headed, the radio was pointing his antenna around trying to find the city signal. And he says, north by northwest, watch out for low-flying aircraft. Yeah, no child is going to get that. There's a lot of other references, too, that, like, 
the air conditioner is Jack Nicholson. Um, yeah. There's there's a character in the Chop Shop that is Joan Rivers. Yes, the uh, the hodgepodge. Yeah. Like. What was she composed of? It was some can opener. Uh, um, like a, yeah, an electric razor. Shop? Electric razor, yes. And something and else. What, the lamp was. Um, the, the the ceiling light thing at the Peter Lord. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I had to look that up because a lot of people impersonate his voice and I have no idea who this guy is. Like Looney Tunes has done it. Mm-hmm. Robin Williams did it in Aladdin where he was talking yes. about um you can't wish people back from the dead. And then it's again in this movie. And it's just like who is this guy that everybody is impersonating? I have um, to know. The, that lamp was oh. one of the things. There's so many things in this mo- movie that scared me as a child. That mm-hmm. lamp was one of them. The scary clown firefighter from the dream. Oh, <laughs> we will Terrifying. get to that in a second. I want to jump back to Peter Lord just for a second. If you're yeah. people listening, if you don't know who that is, you, you know who this is. I'm going to do it's a true. terrible impersonation here <laughs> just to give you an idea. Let's see. Um... Sit down, Forrest Bell. You don't look so well. Or, uh... I can't bring people back from the dead. It's not a pretty sight. I don't like doing it. Something like that. Where it's a very... A very spooky, slightly Latin accent. But you know who this guy is. But, yes, spooky clown. There is no reason for him. He comes in like a a nightmare dream sequence when they're camping out in the woods and it is thunderstorming. But I get that the toaster dreams that he has burned something and a smoke monster is grabbing the kid and throwing him away. And I get the firefighter. I don't understand why the firefighter is a clown. Yeah. Because it's a nightmare. Neither do I. But it was a. I liked everything else in it because the clown is shooting a flood of water that turns into forks that a toaster would be scared of, and then the toaster is hanging over a bathtub, which is another hazard for toasters. Yeah, but I, as soon as I saw that clown face, I was like, "This was my nightmare as a child." <laughs> I remember that clown face. Um, the air conditioner also, like his meltdown, scared me as a child. A lot of things scared me as a child in this movie because it is. The first half is really, like, normal, except for, like, yeah. the air conditioner meltdown. It's just like, oh, we're going on an adventure. And then, like, the second half is like, how screwed up can we make this children's movie? Yeah, there like, is... it's real weird. Like you said in the intro, there is a lot of ways that these characters nearly die. Let's see. So, ones I can think of are the waterfall. Uh, they are creating a bridge from themselves across this gorge... Uh, they get all the way across, and what happens to the toaster? Because he's on there for a second, and then he panics, and he drops everyone, and they fling him into the river. Is he afraid of heights or something? It was never explained, but that was kind of what I assumed, because it was when he looked down that he suddenly freaked out. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I can think of is that this is supposed to be the opposite of what happens at the end, where he is brave and he saves the master, this is his moment of fear that he has to reconcile later in the film. But I don't understand why toasters would be afraid of heights. All the other, I... like, fears of the things make sense. Like, yeah. the toaster is afraid of fire and water and, like... was it, it could have been a parallel to his nightmare hanging over the bathtub. Maybe. I guess it is water down there. So we should talk about the music in this movie. <gasps> because I forgot it was a musical. 
I did not because I remembered <laughs> several of the songs and I remember her talking last week about the cars singing as they the get destroyed. Song. Yes. That song is called Worthless. Yep. I really like that song still. <laughs> Worthless. I thought that was still really good. Yeah, no, like, I, I enjoyed a lot of the music. Uh, it, but it's very rare for a musical where the main stars of an animated film are not the featured singers in a they, lot of the songs. They only really sing the first song, where they're, which I would say is the most boring song. When they're it's on an adventure? Yeah, their their adventure song, We're Going to the City song, mm-hmm. I would say is the the most traditional and least interesting of the songs, and it's the only one they really sing. The first song is actually Tutti Fruity, which is also weird in a musical where they're playing other music that is known music, and then they, they later sing. It's okay. very strange. I wasn't really counting Tutti Fruity. <laughs> I was yeah, it's just songs. it's it's a weird thing to do. No, yeah. not other movie has had licensed music along with original music. I guess it's just with the radio. My favorite song was the B movie song oh. that they sing in the Chop Shop. Yes, it was a very. It almost reminded me of like a kid's version of Rocky Horror. I, I won't remember what it was called now. I remember. All the creepy appliances are singing it about yeah. how you're not going to get out of here and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of the beats in these songs something. are very interesting. I think that one goes dun, 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 dun. Yeah. It's just very, very catchy. But it's very, with the whole B-movie idea, it's very Rocky Horror. It's very unusual for a kid's movie. Yeah. All, a lot of the music is. It's very weird and strange and... And there's kind of to... there's kind of a point in their adventure where the music changes, and I, I want to say it's the chop shop because at the beginning they they're very hopeful, um, then they reach nature, who is basically playing the same song that they just sung, though with like frog voices and um, bugs. Oh yeah, their wings. the the like yeah. music, the nature reprise. But as soon as is it hits pretty. the chop shop, it starts getting scary, and then the the car song at the end is just totally depressing where they're oh, going it's... over i thought i'd be alive forever i guess not and but you know why the music the behind it is all movie. peppy and and happy sounding but the words are not <laughs> it's weird yeah they're they're literally singing worthless and it's got a really frantic beat because they're all getting chopped up and you're not well if you're as a kid i didn't know was the owner going to get to them at time? Because you cu- keep cutting back to him yeah. and the TV trying to get him to the junkyard. Um, the other one was Cutting Edge, the, the, other, the new appliances thing, which is oh, like right. a dystopian nightmare. Oh, <laughs> dystopian like, nightmare with like an 80s beat to it. Yeah. Well, techno it was like music. A dystopian nightmare as imagined in the mid 80s. Like... It was like an early Apple commercial. <laughs> During that song, um, there are a lot of things going on. Very quick cuts of things that I noticed that I definitely missed as a child. One of which is they have the most advanced projector in the world. Because it projects a beach scene with our main protagonist in it. It turns and all the sand falls onto the floor. They have a matter creator in their apartment. This, this was a, the future imagined in the 80s. <laughs> uh, another thing that 
this character is only on screen for a couple of quick shots, but if you're looking for him, you can find him. It is a very racist Asian stereotype of a boombox. It is supposed to be right. the new speaker that is replacing the radio, but they they go as far as to give him the uh, slanted, or basically lines as eyes, uh, put up as an angle, uh, and then the... Uh, let's see, the tape player part is the buck teeth of this racist stereotype. That was really popular in the 80s. <laughs> like, looking back, that was everywhere. Yeah, who was that detective guy? Uh, that was Chan. not. Yeah, that was not in Charlie the 80s, Chan, though. Maybe. That was long okay. time that was ago. A lot, but they brought it back in the 80s. There was weird, yes. like, 50s throwbacks in the 80s. I don't know why. The weirdest scene, I would think, in the movie is... Weirdly, not any of the scenes where they almost die. It's at the very end of the chop shop where they scare the guy. He faints. They have a jailbreak, break down the wall. The dog escapes, drives away in the monster truck. (laughs) We need to talk about this entire scene. And then the guy, like, having seen this, because he leans in through the broken wall that a fridge just wandered out in. He just leans in and goes, do you have my radio too? <laughs> Did I catch you at a bad time? And oh, Well, and then you mentioned, I even had that written down about the dog driving the truck. The but of course, the in the kid, so so this is one of the movies even where, where the pedals in the truck tell you which one is which. So the gas pedal is shaped like a foot. So you know what yeah. you're supposed to use to push it. Right. So we should talk about this entire scene because it starts at one of the many death sequences where all of the appliances are being dragged into the mud and the only thing that saves them is the hand of God, the deus ex machina, if you will, of this guy coming down and pulling up the radio antenna and then finding all them and taking him to his chop shop for appliances. Which is really funny because as the vacuum cleaner, the first to like fall into the goo, he's like sarcastically dying. He's just like, eh, whatever. I guess this is the end. <laughs> like he's like making insults while he's dying. And I'm like, oh, oh he and is, they start the to greatest. mourn him. Mm-hmm. They start to mourn him like the lamp is like, oh, uh, he was kind of a nice guy towards the end. Oh, what? I'm dying too? God, no. <laughs> oh, and there's some line about. Uh, Things could be worse. And he's like, how? They couldn't. I lied. <laughs> that the radio that is, says that is great. That is one of my favorite John Lovitz guys. But the, the repairman. Well, I made a lot of parallels between this and Pixar, uh, which we should get into because this is more or less a Pixar movie. Yeah. Uh, I, it was originally pitched by John Lasseter before he was let go. Uh, and it... Uh, let's see, a lot of the animators in this were part of the, I think, the Cal Arts program, and yeah. they became the original animators for Pixar. And I yep. didn't realize, I think I told you last week, I actually had mm-hmm. never seen this growing up, and I don't know why, or what, if it was just something that was not on my radar or something, but I also did not realize that it was a Disney movie until I started watching it. They weren't but, the animation studios. I don't think they were involved in the production. I think it was originally they, pitched to Disney. Yeah, and it's, it, it's, it's Disney, it, but it was one of their side. Yeah, studios it's released by a different name studio, but it's owned by Disney. So, yes. but it also like I mean, the Disney writers so many and a lot of that stuff were people that worked on Disney and Pixar movies later on. So, mm-hmm. it's. 
there's also a lot of parallels to other movies which we can right <laughs> going back to the the tech guy uh his body type his character design was very reminiscent of the the, the collector in toy story 2 uh and yes. he is it's a weird character that doesn't exist anywhere else in cartoons i can't think of any place it exists in another cinematic universe either where it's a fat nerdy guy driving a giant monster truck who came up with that? That makes no sense for a character. Who came up with any of the idea for this movie? But this is also a movie with really lazy naming because the name of the guy's dog is just Quadruped. It's true. He says something about Quadruped, you buckled yourself in. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But like everything else besides Kirby, which is actually a brand of vacuum cleaner, they just name the character after the thing that they are. Because you just have Toaster, Lampy, Radio, and Blanky. Those are the rest of the That's team. True. I guess Vacuum was too long. <laughs> they needed something a child could say. Do you think they branded toys after this movie? Where it was just appliances that would actually function for adults? I want a radio that looked like that radio. You should go check. So, a problem I had with this movie was that it relies on an emotional connection that doesn't exist in the real world because a lot of like children's movies it's either small dinosaurs dealing with family problems that you find in the real world or it's children going on adventures that you can relate to or it's toys where children have actual emotional connections to toys oh no you are wrong i have never had an emotional connection to an appliance my entire life mm -hmm. I have, but this might be why I'm going to grow up to be a hoarder. <laughs> the one emotional note that works is the blanket. I could definitely see a child being attached to a blanket, much like Linus from Peanuts, but everything else, a child wouldn't be attached to him. He wouldn't miss these things. Maybe this was just a movie marketed for me because, like... I don't know, I was the person that cried when my MP3 player died. Like, <laughs> this, this is me. I get sad when my appliances die. I get very attached to them, and I like them. So maybe this is just my movie. Maybe, maybe movie that's because me. you saw this movie growing up. Maybe it is. Maybe this movie messed me up. Now, I wanted to ask you this, because in our past two recording sessions, you have had a spirit animal in the film. Uh, let's see. In the first one, it was Steph. In the second one, it was Spike because he sleeps and eats oh, and yeah. that is his life. <laughs> Did you find a spirit animal in this film? I'm, weirdly, I just might be his, the human girlfriend because <laughs> literally she does not care about anything that's going she on. She does not. It's so funny because she's like, it, when they're at the junkyard, she's just like, oh, look, car like here's stuff I like. I'm not even paying yeah, attention to you. And he when is, he almost dies, she's just like, Stop messing around. Get off of there. Yeah. Even though he almost died. Right. So, to bring people up to speed that are listening, they go to the junkyard. There's an evil electromagnet that pulls up all the things. Maybe he's not evil. I think he's just really into his job. Fine. <laughs> he, he wants to do his job very well, which means killing the appliances we have come to know and love. Yes. So, um... Boy goes to the junkyard, finds his stuff, but Electromagnet is still trying to do his job. Dr. Kevorkian. Brings all the stuff up. Boy still tries to hold on to it, 
And so it drops the boy on the conveyor belt going to a crusher that is very, very efficient, crushing entire car into what seems like an inch cube. Um, so he is smushed down by stuff, nearly dying. He is calling out for help to anyone who will listen. And the girlfriend is just like, where are you? I hear you. Stop screwing around. That does sound a lot like Sarah. <laughs> I know. She She is my spirit animal of this but movie. She's I really great. enjoyed her as well because when he goes to the junkyard and finds a picture of himself uh, in the background, she's like, you can't find these anywhere. And she is literally pulling the grill off of a car. It's true. I, I don't know, does, is it ever brought up that she is actually his girlfriend or whatever? It's never like, said. They're just kind of always together. But You assume that they were like childhood friends, they went to school together, they're going to college together because they take off together at the end. So you just kind of assume that they're, they're close and might be dating. In, in some of the things she is, her credit is... Chris, the mistress. Oh. So it is assumed <laughs> well. that they are together. Oh, well, 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 If well. he's the master. Right. Yeah, Which is funny yeah, every you. time they say that. All right. Yeah, why doesn't he have that a name? That hasn't aged well. Oh, he does have a name. His name is Rob. Do they say that ever? I think his mother says it. Okay. When she's like, did you get a sweater? Do you have enough socks? Looking back on it as an adult, it kind of made me believe that he is the leader of a cult of technology that is just flocking to well him. you know they're just all his minions that do all the chores for him so yes. maybe he is a young steve jobs <laughs> <laughs> no because he shuns the computer who wants to go to college with him uh but mark you're totally spot on i i want to know i am living in the future now why do i not have appliances that'll clean my entire apartment for me because at the beginning of this movie, that is what they have been doing, according to the vacuum, for the past 5,000 days. Uh, or maybe it's 2,000. But they get up every morning and they clean the entire house. I want that so bad. And wh why is the toaster cleaning? Yeah, the, the, the toaster seems like bored. he is the least apt to do any of this work. Vacuum, yes. Blanket, maybe. Everything else is not qualified. Does it bother anyone else that this is like a gift of the Magi situation where the entire movie is pretty much pointless? Yes. I have because... that in my notes. This entire adventure doesn't mean anything. Because he was coming to get them anyway. If they had just chilled out and stayed put for a couple more days... Mm -hmm. Right. None of this would have happened. They wouldn't have died almost ten times. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't have threatened the life of what is essentially a forever child. And if it has been ten years since they last saw him, why did they suddenly now get... I, I assume it's because the air conditioner died. I believe it's for the for sale sign. Oh, right, because they are selling the cabin. They are yeah. selling the summer home. They know that... You know, eventually they'll have new owners who may just throw them away. So they want to reconnect with this guy before the, the chance is up. But yeah, you're right. If they've just stayed put, the movie 
would take care of itself. They don't accomplish anything on this adventure because, as you said, they are appliances and never change. They don't grow at all. They are exactly who they were at the beginning of the movie at the end of the movie. Except the toaster learned that he can jump from heights to save someone. (laughs) I think the toaster might be a girl. It is voiced by a woman, uh, but it's never quite clear. I didn't assign The toaster might be genderless. The others, like, they say something. Like, they say the blanket is a boy. Hmm. But the toaster just might be a toaster. (laughs) That's all. Just a toaster. Just a toaster. Yeah, another one of my notes. The thing that tipped me off that this was definitely a Pixar movie is the thing that they hide in all Pixar movies is the A113. Yes. And that is is the apartment number that the kid is living in when they get there. And this is one of the rare times where it's actually, like, pointed out specifically and it's yeah it's not really part of the plot but he says it out loud not most times it's just in the background somewhere and it doesn't really make sense for the apartment because like they're not on the 113th floor i don't even think they're on like the 11th floor in the third wing one one 100s are usually the first floor aren't they right but when they're throwing them out the window they're several floors yes they are i Definitely around the time they get to the apartment, I thought the light pointing them with the crosswalk sign, I thought that was cute. Oh, yes. I thought that was a good way to do it, to give them directions. It was very, very cute. I thought the colors of this movie were really good. Yeah. Like, they changed a lot depending where they were. Uh, the, The one thing I had a problem with, where if you see the team together in a group, a lot of the colors are distinct. But what isn't distinct is the lamp from the blanket. Everything mm-hmm. else has like a primary or strong secondary color, and they are just tonally exactly the same. Yeah. But like backgrounds were really good, especially when they first get outside and they're going through the forest and they meet all the animals and there's the flower fields. Mm. It's gorgeous. Oh. It's such bright colors and such. Oh, and the flower scene. The flower scene is still the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. It yeah. takes like 10 seconds to do. And I the agree toaster with kills you. a flower. Explain this scene to our listeners. All right, so the toaster is going around being all shiny, and a bunch of animals are just amused by the fact that they can see their sel- themselves in the toaster. And then a flower sees, I always thought it was a girl flower, I don't know why, um, herself in the toaster and thinks it's another flower. And is so excited that it's another flower. And the toaster's like, no, no, no. It's just a reflection and leaves. And he, he, she, toaster, looks back at it. And the flower has wilted and died because it was so sad that its friend, the not real flower, has left. And it takes all of 10 seconds and it's just like, you (sighs) killed a flower with loneliness. Gosh. There are a lot of quick cuts like that. I did not even remember that scene, actually. <laughs> There's are you kidding just small, me? harrowing vignettes of their adventure. But yeah, it, the flower reminded me a lot of the rose in Beauty and the Beast, where it's, it's always cast in sunlight. But yeah, it wilting and losing petals as the toaster is forced to walk away because he can't marry a flower. <laughs> And it makes kind of like these humming noises or something when it's like looking at himself itself and it's it's so cute and then it's like sad and I I can't I told you emotionally invested in inanimate objects. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh so we should talk about 
one of the character designs in this movie, because it's the only character that does this, and I'm not sure why. The sewing machine is two people. Everything else is one person. What is his yep. need for her personality, and why is she two people? Your thoughts, go. Anybody. Bueller? I have no idea. <laughs> I was trying to. I thought see you were the I one talking any... about it earlier. Well, I knew that the sewing machine was weird. I, I, but it's it's voiced, I think, by the same person. Both voices just doubled, maybe. I think it is two distinct voice actresses. Is it... I know who one of them is. I just don't know. Yeah, it just so for people who haven't seen the movie recently, it is a sewing machine where the base of the sewing machine has one face, the needle and thread have another face. And basically, their their character design is kind of babbling hairdressers, hairdressers, maybe. Um, it's very like the nanny. Yes, very much so. <laughs> very Fran Dresser. And all they do is talk shit about the blanket until the blanket comes near them, and they're like, "Oh, hi." Okay, it is two different people, but they're both they're both double cast people. Right. I don't know. I was trying to think if I knew any like. Yeah, it's Super just... Super special, like, sewing tech terms that I could, like, figure this out. It just seemed like a weird choice to make, because even the hodgepodge creation in that chop shop only had one face. Even though she is, like, True. three distinct things. Another interesting character design was the television. Because they kept zooming away from the guy, and he was a man living in a television studio... And he basically can do anything, throw on commercials, but if you change his channel, he suddenly loses all personality. Maybe he's the same. Maybe it's like in Toy Story 3 where they just changed the language settings. So maybe he's still trying to communicate, but he's just speaking Spanish now, and so they can't understand him. Oh, maybe. It seemed weird that this television was spying on an entire family and trying to direct them and control their lives with targeted advertising. That that television character is the most Disney Pixar looking character. Oh, I noted that he like, he reminded me of uh, Doug's neighbor from the TV show oh, Doug. Oh yeah. Mr. Fink I mean, maybe. He's definitely very that sort of character mm. like he looks the most like he would be in a disney movie i feel like that he's probably been in other disney movies <laughs> you're yeah. probably right um while we're on the subject of character design i want to note that if you haven't seen it in a while um so they're carrying around a picture of this kid as they knew him and the kid in the picture reminded me a lot of arnold from magic school bus same striped shirt same fluffy red hair uh, when the kid grows up, it's very reminiscent of the main character from um, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, that Disney movie, where it's basically a um, James Spader from Stargate character. So I'm wondering if this movie fits into the timeline. His name is Milo. <laughs> Arnold grows up to be Milo, and this is the branch between them. He has a lot of the I thought same... he just looked like Ron Howard. <laughs> I remember even when he's walking around... I. I think it's at the cabin when he's all confused about where everything went when the glasses slide down his nose and he does this thing a lot where he's oh, pushing yeah. him up with his finger and I remember Milo does that a lot in Atlantis too and there's probably other Disney movies with glasses where they have that same motion 
So, I thought that was a very cute scene at the beginning, where the lamp is throwing out ideas of how they're going to go on this adventure. <laughs> and they're trying every one. And I assumed they were cleaning up all of their tries. We find out later in the movie, not at all. They leave the entire cabin trashed when they go out on their adventure. Uh, there was one where they're in the refrigerator. Mm, yes, a refrigerator on a skateboard. There's one involving a mattress. Because yeah, the mattress was on the fell stairs. Down the, at stairs. The end. There was one involving the blanket as a cape. Yes, yeah. the toaster was wearing the blanket as a cape. Uh, I think there was one where they tried to use the blanket as a magic carpet. Yes. <laughs> and all of them the radio looked disgusted, tried to do except for Lampy, who was all excited and thought it was going to work. There's quite a few times where the toaster has a face like, I am not putting up with this. Where he just kind of looks sideways at them and is like, nope. To your point, Mark, that the lamp is very dumb. When they get, <laughs> when they get to the apartment, uh, they complete their journey, go to the boys' home. The radio is relaying the entire story of their adventure. Completely oh, false. But the lamp totally believes this false representation of the adventure he actually went on. That just happened. Yes. Wow, I can't believe he did all that stuff. <laughs> all right. So, last minute, go over your notes. Is there anything else you want to hit on the plot before we move on? All right. I wanted to touch on uh, a quick scene, something that I noticed that... If you decide to watch it, why don't you keep a lookout for it? It happens in a fantasy, so it's not technically illegal in the Ralsei universe, but it's when the, the blanket has gone to the top of the cabin to look at um, a car that is approaching, thinking it is the master. He imagines it is the master approaching the house. When the car approaches the house, you can clearly see there are two adults in the front seat, child in the back. The child phases through his parents and jumps out of the car without moving the seat. Also, nobody is in the passenger seat, but there is still two heads silhouetted in the car. Well, that's just the blanket having an LSD dream. He's also psychic at that point, because he hears the car when it's not even anywhere close. <laughs> He's just like, there's a car. Oh, also it. when there's music playing. Yeah. He has an amazing like... sense of hearing. He has this weird, like, and they all know this is happening. They're just like, he just freezes and they're like, oh, yeah. He's, he's having a blanket. He's being the blanket. Quick question on the blanket. His face is the control for the electric blanket. Uh, he has a cord that uh, appears and disappears when they need it to. But is that control connected to the blanket anywhere? Because it tends to move throughout the film. It does. I have noticed that too. I'm just curious if you could think of, uh, is it a remote control? Is it attached in one particular section? I have no idea. <laughs> so if we're pointing out weird things like that, yes. before this whole adventure even began, how did they even open the front door of the cabin? Mm. I don't believe Excellent any of question. them actually had the hands. So, <laughs> <laughs> Huh. Yeah, because it is, it is a knob more than a handle. I think they were all sitting on a chair at the time because it's while the vacuum they is sure pulling were. them out the door and then the door just opens and they get out. We should also point out the toaster decides he's going on adventure. Blanket joins in. Then the other two, the lamp and the, the radio, volunteer. They talk the vacuum cleaner into joining them. 
and then make him do all the work the entire journey. Which is why he gets really mad at them. Right before the river scene, he was yelling at them and complaining about how he's been doing everything, and, and then they all fall on the river, so he goes to save them. Oh, they also, and they go to sleep! They do go to sleep. There's a When they're on their first part of the adventure, he runs away, as kind of like a, a person peeing behind a tree to change out his bag. <laughs> yes. It's just a very strange moment to include in a children's film. I don't know why and they put this then somebody, in there. one of the, I forget, one of them was looking at him, and one of the other characters gave him a dirty look. <laughs> yeah, the blanket wants to see what's going on, and the toaster's like, no, let him be. Let him do his business. I yeah, I, I didn't write that one down, but I remember it happening, and I was, I wanted to comment on it, but I forgot to put it down. Oh, Mark, I'm not sure if we recorded this. Did you want to bring up the sexualized tape recorder? I don't know. I, I think it's a tape recorder. It is. I don't know what It's a very old style, it's... something like the Nixon Watergate tapes, yeah, that style and, of recorder. And it's got the two reels right on the front of it, um, but it also happens to be female, so... <laughs> yeah, it's a weird note to make, again, in a children's film. Though I think I remember reading the animators... They wanted to make something they were proud of more than they wanted to make a popular children's film. And I mean, later, the TV pulls out swimsuit pictures out of the drawer, mm -hmm. so so not all the things are yeah, this, that great. This movie is not completely above board. <laughs> it's not. I think, though, you find that a lot of animated children's movies where they have those things where they're on the screen for two seconds, but now that everybody has DVDs to pause them right. and all this stuff, they see all these things. All right, let's finish up with the, the end of this movie. So we've talked about him getting onto the conveyor belt. Um, the Brave Little Toaster uh, does his particular action of being brave, jumps into the machine, destroying it, saving his master from being crushed. A note I had here is that this guy cannot move at all until he's completely out of danger, then he is totally fine to get up and talk to his girlfriend. It's something that happens a lot in movies, where as soon as the tension is gone, there is no more trouble. Maybe it moved really fast and... Maybe. I don't know. Uh, so, anyway, Toaster is destroyed, he takes it home, repairs it, loads up the car in a way that'll definitely make his stuff fall out while he's driving, and he takes off for college. That is the Brave Little Toaster. So, Sarah. Happy ending. I believe you have some trivia slash where are they now. <laughs> uh, it's more a ha not where are they now, but how do we recognize those voices? Oh, who are Cause they? Because there, there are a lot of voices that we probably didn't recognize as a kid, but will recognize now. They had some pretty well-known people doing the voices in this. First off, John Lovitz playing... <laughs> John Lovett as a radio. Um, he's one I actually did know as a child because I watched a lot of news radio. Yes, I was a big fan of that show as well. Seasons. Um, right after this, and actually, literally right after this, because he had they had to rush his recording because he then had to leave. He joined SNL oh, as a cast member. Wow. He's also known for the cartoon The Critic. Yeah, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. So he's he's probably one of the most favorite. There's also Phil Hartman did two voices. Mm -hmm. He did the air conditioner and the creepy lamp in the chop shop. Playing, uh, um. doing an accent both times. Jack Nicholson as the air conditioner. Yes. And Peter Lorne as the lamp. 
He did. And he's also known for news radio and SNL. Ah. So he and John Lovitz had similar careers. He is also one of the people on the list who is now dead. <sighs> we um, gotta stop picking movies like this. Uh, and, and another one that it's your died turn this tragically because yep. he got shot by his wife partway through the seasons of news radio and got replaced by John Lovett. Mm. Um, there's also uh, the Masters. Also, might be well known from doing voices on The Simpsons. Yeah. He, it, Do you want to give us an impression I, of that, Mark? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Bill oh, Hartman has done. What's the so what is the things. classic intro line? From he had a, an announcer guy. Oh, yes, yes. I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such something as yes, blah, Troy blah, McClure. Blah, blah. That's the name um, I was yeah. looking for. <laughs> the 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 person who does the mother, the human mother, and also she does one of the voices of the two-headed sewing machine is Mindy Stern, <laughs> also known from Austin Powers, where she played Frau. What's her name? The the minion of <laughs> Doctor um, Evil. Oh, Doctor Evil. Right. She's also been in like a million Disney Channel shows. Oh, wow. She's a redhead. You would you would know her. <laughs> I'm sure if I you would recognize any her. of them. Oh, you, you know oh, her name is yes, familiar yes, yes. to me. It but took I don't me a while to, to picture her. Is she the in she, Austin Powers? Is she the older woman? She's like the older German minion. Yeah. Where she? Yeah, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. I'm with you now. That's her, and then. The one Mark is probably really interested in is the vacuum cleaner, who is voiced by Thurl Ravenscraft, who is known for, like, a million things <laughs> voice acting-wise. He was part of the, yes. the Mellow Men, who were known for doing um, a lot of songs from Disney to stuff. Um, like, they, they did the playing cards in Alice in Wonderland. Oh. They did... Some of the singing from Jungle Book. He's also known for being Tony the Tiger. They're great. Yes. He's also known for being the guy who did You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Oh, yes. Also known for doing some of the singing for the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And he is the lead singing bust in The Haunted Mansion. What? He is... Yes. yes, the one that oh, is man. constantly mistaken for Walt Disney. That is him. He is literally, he's also one of the voices of the birds in the Tiki Room. Like, as a person who grew up going to Disneyland a lot, like, he is the voice of all of these things in my childhood. Like, mm -hmm. he's the voice of all of these classic Disney things. Uh, he did. Is I think he was also the ghost host who does all the narrating he, yeah, for he might, the Yeah, he, he also did Pink Elephants on Parade from Dumbo. Like,. All of the really deep Disney songs from that era, it, it's all him. Like, that is who mm -hmm. did it. And, and if you listen to it knowing that, you can definitely, like, tie it together. I had to look it up, but I was like, like the first, he had one line at the very beginning that was like three words. And I was like, I know that voice <laughs> oh, <it> somewhere. Is, <laughs> it is so <laughs> recognizable, especially if you... If you listen to it and then think Tony the Tiger. I get it now. I will say I did not recognize it watching the film. And it, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Like, you're a mean one. That really low Mr. voice. Grinch. Oh, it's, it's so you good. You really are something. I don't he's, know. He's, <laughs> a heel. He's, he's also dead, but that's because he was pretty old. <laughs> oh. oh yeah. God. Less tragic. I think everyone else. And the guy who played... The 
blanket mm-hmm. was actually a small child, which makes it a little less annoying that he acts like it's such a baby. Yeah. Because if he was an adult voicing a small child, then you feel free to punch him in the face. I kind of can't punch to like a nine-year-old. I I really was not a fan of the blanket. Yeah, character. I think it's something kids relate to probably more. <laughs> Because they're used to dealing with smaller yeah. children. I found him one of, one of the most annoying of the group. I, I don't know. I'm an adult child. now watching a children's film, so who am I to make fun of it? As a child, I liked him, but I was a whiny baby. So. Oh, well, there you go. You <laughs> found your spirit animal. <laughs> yes. And Mark has information on the writer. One of them. Uh, yes. So one of the people, I think most of them actually probably are still Disney slash Pixar people. One of the main writers who did the story was Joe Ranft, which I can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but it's spelled interesting. Anyway, he did the story also for Toy Story, Cars, Finding Nemo, Bugs Life. But he actually, I don't remember, 2005... Uh, it died in a car crash. Oh, I actually think I remember so, this one. So, more, more dead people from the film. Golly. So, <laughs> Guys, we, we cannot but, uh, keep picking films <laughs> that have dead people in them. I mean, it's no, going to it's, happen, but it's a, such I, a downer. But he also worked on, on Beauty and the Beast, Oliver and Company, Lion King, The Incredibles. So he's been involved in a lot of those big Disney films in that This one I think era, I remember because so. I think they did like... A tribute to him on one of the behind the scenes things oh, wow. on one of the Pixar movies yes. I own. I read that there it, in one of the articles it said that there was a tribute to him. I don't remember which movie it but was. But one of the ones I own, one of the behind the scenes things, they talk about him. It may have been The Incredibles because I think that came out in 2005. Yeah. And that was the year that he died, but I don't know. But yeah. So well, a lot of. Whereas the last one, there weren't a whole lot of ones where they were really big names. It was a lot of just voice actors and and kid stars. This one was a lot of big names they got to do this one. Yeah. And somehow it was a show that I never heard of growing up. I watched it so much. (laughs) So, do we want to move on to ratings? Sure. All right. Are we doing games first or ratings first? I think we've done ratings first and ended with games. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I could be totally wrong. But you know what? It's our show. We get to do what we want. So, I do what I and know. you can edit it later. So we have determined our potato scale is not really a goodness scale. It's more of tell me the emotional state of this movie using potatoes as an allegory. So, describe this movie's emotional tone using potatoes. I had this as an oven baked potato, which apparently, according to our scale, is a little takes a while to get into because <laughs> the first part of it has a very different tone than the last part of it and being the messed up child that I was I liked the weird murder rocky horror style song like dystopian futuristic nightmare that is the second <laughs> half a lot better and as an adult that is still true so it takes a little while to get into. Second half is great. I still love the second half. It's not perfect. It's still pretty dated, but pretty good on the second half, but slow getting into. So oven baked potato. All right. Mark, do you have anything? Interesting. Uh, well, I, 
did not <laughs> probably along the same lines didn't really get into it right away i was more paying attention to the big name people that i knew who were in it and that kind of drew me to it as an adult just knowing all these big names that were in it but the movie itself i would rate as the tater tots which according to our scale is just for kids I'm not sure, I mean, like we said during the show, there are a lot of jokes in there that I would not have picked up on as a kid, but just from the overall plot and <laughs> some of the holes in the story and some of the other things we pointed out that don't really make sense as an adult when you watch it, just makes me, it, it's hard for me to stick with it through the whole mm -hmm. thing yeah um so my ratings or the potato scale on my computer has stopped working i cannot access it so i may have to make one up here um <laughs> dead potatoes yeah actually that's kind of close to what i was going to say uh i think we have somewhere on there yams which is not a potato um that is true <laughs> <laughs> because I had didn't really have an emotional connection with this film. Unlike Goonies and unlike Land Before Time, where the emotional notes still work very well, this one, it tries to bring to mind an emotional connection that I've never experienced. I have never loved a vacuum cleaner. I have never wanted to hug a toaster. So for me... The emotional notes are something that only exist in this world and don't translate into reality. No, I definitely get that. It wasn't quite as emotional as some of the others. I just still say it's got some really good points. I think some of the later music songs are still really mm -hmm. strong. The music is very, very good. Yeah, like the last few songs, the 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 B movie film, um, worthless, all of really strong songs yeah. i want someone to do like a a remix of Ooh. them or something like bring them back oh you know it's gonna be dubstep um, uh, <laughs> i want i want a, i want some electropunk yeah. version of the weird dystopian one i don't remember what it's called oh more 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 <laughs> something like that <laughs> more, yeah, more. It, yeah yeah something like yeah, that but I, i'll bring them back bring those back the rest of it is kind of I like some of the weird things and the, the terrible death scenes, but emotionally, not, it's not quite as there as much as the others, and it's real slow to get into. So this brings us into our second scale, which is much more of a scale. Uh, so rated out of 10, uh, for people who might be revisiting this film or watching it for the first time as an adult, how do you rate this film's watchability, one being the least, 10 being the highest? I'd probably give it about a 5. I feel pretty apathetic about it. Like, I would get the soundtrack and listen to those songs yeah. again. I would I would get, like, sound bites of some of the vacuum cleaners lines and use them on my phone. Like the, you're all insane, says at one point. I would get that as a sound clip. But I mean... You need to set it to a text message anytime we text you. It isn't like a t complete time capsule of a movie where watching it, you're like, what What are these crazy, like, old people movies doing? Like, it's not that sort of thing. But it's not, it's not like this timeless classic that I need to watch again. Right. But I will, I will listen to the music again. Completely agree. Mark, you're? I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, the, of the three movies that we have looked at so far, I am nostalgic for Land Before Time. 
So, because that's what I grew up with. Goonies, I didn't really watch until college, but I still Goonies really love watching good. it as an adult. Yeah, it's just it's good anyway. This one is kind of where I, the music is okay, and some of the references are funny to see as an adult and be like, I can't believe that they did that, whatever. But And then some of the names that they have and involved the voice with acting it, is but, good. Yeah, and we, we should just, mention, yeah, 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 yeah. people who it's listen just, to the previous episode know this, you did not see this as a child. You were coming completely fresh. True. So I, I, yeah, I would agree. I'd probably put it. I would say five or lower. Yeah. <laughs> just, just there are good points right. to it that that bring it up a little bit, but overall, I did not get into it it's very much to, to hold my decidedly interest. Decidedly middle of the road. Yes, I'm going to rate it slightly higher, and I will tell you why. Uh, so for me, it's going to be a six or a seven. Because this movie had so many of the animators that went into Pixar, it exists as a very interesting historical piece. Like, if you love Pixar movies, you should go back and watch this, because there's a lot of Pixar notes throughout this thing, and it's really Pixar before it became Pixar. So, because of the historic nature of where this fit in, uh, I also believe it might be one of the first occurrences of 2D animation over 3D backgrounds. At least that's what John Lasseter wanted to do the film initially. Um, I would say because of that historical aspect, maybe watch it a bit higher. I'm going to give it a solid six. So, we are now moving on to games. <laughs> for new listeners uh first game is pitch me this movie so describe this movie as you would to someone you are trying to get to make it nowadays or someone who has never seen this movie before using the form it's this property meets this property so what do you guys have for this i i got two so i've got one is toy story meets the magic bullet infomercial <laughs> <laughs> and my other one is Land Before Time meets Rocky Horror meets Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> As... Bed Bath and Beyond is not a movie. Yeah, well, I use the store in one but of my. But it makes sense. Well. I have four of them. Uh, my first Jeez one. Louise. Well, we should imagine we had two weeks to do this. I had some extra time. Um, I got sick. My very first one is. Two on point, which is why I wanted to get so many more. Um, it is Toy Story meets Wall-E. It's true. But it's it's so on point because it is the creators of Pixar who made those properties and reappropriated some of the ideas. Maybe the Pixar people are like, well, let's make it the toaster, but like let's make it even less like humanoid. <laughs> But, like, the crusher at the end is very much Wally oh, yeah. in the way that it comes out in perfect cubes every time. So, my other ones, because this movie is all about a relentless pursuit of a boy, I have Little Mermaid meets Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> what? To be fair, Beauty and the Beast, they're pursuing the girl. Right. Beauty and Beast was more for the uh, appliances be having personalities. Oh, 
that's yeah. true. Yeah. All right. Unfortunately, the toaster does not turn into a human. <laughs> uh, my final. Maybe two that's in the sequel. Are it's Look Who's Talking meets Radio Shack, and it is Homeward Bound meets Knight Rider. Why doesn't the car talk? Like that's an excellent question. Uh, it, the it cars does, in the junkyard talk. The one the girlfriend oh, is driving the movie, you does mean. not talk. And the one with the car that the dog drives does not. <laughs> the monster truck. The monster truck. All right, Mark, did you have any? Uh, I did until you all stole them. But hooray! <laughs> Mission success. Um, and one of mine was just going to be cheating anyway because I was just going to say it's all of the Toy Story movies and yeah, one. no, you're right. I mean, you've got the the inanimate objects, but you've got. The fat guy from Toy Story 2, who's mm-hmm. the toy collector. But then at the end of Toy Story 3, you've got them in the... About to be murdered. Yeah, and they are besieged by an electromagnet. In the junkyard, falling into the fire pit. So Maybe this is just <laughs> it's... if Toy Story took place in the kitchen instead of the bedroom. I think that's exactly I, Well, and I'm wondering if, like what you're saying, so many of the people from this went on to Toy Story or went on to Pixar that, that and Toy Story was one of their first big mm-hmm. movies so uh, it's like they almost just lifted the story straight from this but modernized mm-hmm. it a little bit and people liked <laughs> it better <laughs> yeah at least to me it seems like Toy Story is a bigger movie than this was for sure <laughs> i mean you're definitely right i think a lot of the ideas that started here um got put into Toy Story mainly because this movie had a very limited theatrical release. Uh, it yeah, found it, a lot of it its fame really bad. Uh, on home video. Well, I think Blockbuster really popularized this movie. Yeah, because I would have seen it. It would have been a not quite a decade later, but close to it. Yeah, because it came out in '87, and I wouldn't have seen it till right early mid '90s. And I think I remember like seeing it on VHS. I mean, that was the only way you could see this movie. I remember seeing it a lot. I just never got interested, I guess. <laughs> I know I saw it in stores, like, as for rentals and I stuff. Also saw of course, nobody knows what those are one anymore. One of the sequels, but... but I remember literally nothing about it. Except there's a ceiling fan. Literally. Literally. All right. Mark, did you have any more? Uh, no, not anymore, because you took them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. We will move on to the second game, which I've been saying wrong this entire time. Because it is not a subtitle that we are looking for. The word is tagline. So this is alternate tagline. Where you have to yeah, give that does sound better. Yeah. Uh, where you have to give a word or a phrase that would appear in say a movie poster and give the complete theme of the movie. So, Mark, why don't you go first in this one so we don't steal your ideas? <laughs> You probably won't. Um, this is the yes. real one, right? So, mine is more than just yeah, one word. I have phrases. But it was something... Home appliances go on a dangerous journey to find their beloved master. Hmm. Yep, hmm. That, that's this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and <All right>. go. <laughs> Sarah, you got anything? I have, I've got two. Mine is Brave Little Toaster. It's not attempted murder if they aren't human. <laughs> and my other one was Brave Little Toaster, creating hoarders since the 1980s. <laughs> That's, oh, 
I thought I thought these were the real taglines. No. Oh, not is the crazy that the real tagline? Is that what you told us? The one that I said? No, 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 no. Okay, I okay. made it up, but I thought you were making the ones we're talking about now are the ones that describe the All story. Right. No. So oh are... no. So that is the TV guide game, which we will get to. These are Oh, well, well you can use that later sure. then. <laughs> Alright. So why don't I go and you can get a sense of what this game is, because I have a couple. Um, I have a terrible, terrible one, but one that might actually appear on a movie poster uh, because of how awful the puns are. Uh, The Brave Little Toaster. Things are heating up on the inside, so it's time to bounce out. (laughs) Really, really bad. (laughs) I don't know if I'm laughing or crying. (laughs) Uh, the other ones the brave little toaster guess who's been watching you this entire time oh uh yeah the air conditioner the final one I have the brave little toaster guys we should have just stayed home (laughs) it's true so last game TV guide game uh it's where we give an accurate description of the plot of this movie that is only technically accurate, but completely misses the point. Much as you would see in a description of a movie on a TV guide or a Netflix. Okay, I only have one for this. And it's, Hipster man refuses to buy new appliances, resorts to dumpster diving. I have one very similar. Mark, did you have one? (laughs) Not not any different than the one that I just read two minutes ago. Alright, so, (laughs) what I had, um, was very similar to Sarah's was after what must have been a harrowing childhood, a young man fails to come to terms with modern society. And the second one I had, while in the pursuit of reconnecting with an old friend, a collection of 20-somethings ruined two small businesses. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> that guy never got his, his radio tube. Oh, God, I know. Wait, what was the second one? That was the second one. Oh, the yeah, it was oh. the dumb. He destroys the crusher. That seems like oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's going to put him into the red for at least a couple of months. All right, so I've picked a movie for n- next time, which we've decided is going to be in a two-week recording schedule just so we can fit all of our schedules and we can still bring you this somewhat good content, I hope. <laughs> Terrible content. <laughs> yeah, that's probably more accurate. All right, so I am going to give you the name of some of the actors and actresses in this film. Uh, for each one, you can each have a guess. And if you need to go past a certain number, we can. I'll keep giving you clues until you guys get it. All right. Okay, I'm scared. So, first actor. Don Amache. I mean, anything to anybody. Don't look it up. That is cheating. <laughs> it does, but I can't remember. All right. Sally Field. Mr. Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire. Doubtfire. <laughs> I like how we both say the same thing, though. Soap dish. Michael J. Fox. Mm. Oh, Team oh, Wolf. Homeward Bound. It is Homeward Bound. Yeah. So the reason I chose this movie is literally the radio in this film tells the story, basically, of Homeward Bound. Uh, he says, like, a, a golden retriever or a bloodhound gets left somewhere and finds his way all the way back home. 
So that is basically the story of Homeward Bound. Also, it is another journey movie. We have done three journey movies so far where they were going on a journey to save the home they had, going on a journey to find a new home, and going on a journey to reconnect with the home that they lost. So I picked a journey movie to go on with those, but it also stars animals, which I think is going to give us far more opportunities, maybe get out of the journey category for a little while, uh, just so we can branch out. Unless it's the band journey. Oh, that's not a movie that I'm aware of. It, they could be in a movie. <laughs> that's probably be, true. But... So, what do you guys remember about Homeward Bound? This movie stressed me out really bad as a child. Was it just at the end where Shadow is nearly dying? Literally the whole time I'm like, they have to get home, they can't <laughs> die, they have to get home. I'm not good with animal death. Oh, yeah, I am right there with oh, you. Really? I... I, I loved this movie I, as a kid. I loved... I thought the the actors are so charismatic, mm, all of them. Absolutely. I mean, everyone loves Sally Fields, right? Like, yeah, and Michael J. Fox America's could sweet- do no wrong in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Before they were he got both like America's sweetheart, sweetheart. Like, yeah. They uh, both were, and so... So, from what so I remember, lovable. you have three animals that are left at, I think, an aunt's house or some farm yeah. when they... The family decides to go on vacation, um, and we, they think they, they're getting leave, left behind. I, were they on vacation, or were they moving, and they were waiting till they settled in to go get the animals or something? Were they, were they even coming back? I thought they were leaving them forever, was the point. No. The animals thought they were being left forever, which is why they decide to go out and try to get back to the house. But the, yeah, the, the family definitely planned... Well, that would, and that, that would make sense. The family sense. definitely planned to coming back to them. I think it's a specific plot point that the family comes back to the ranch and the animals aren't there and they freak out. Yeah. I also remember Chance. I think it's Michael J. Fox character and he gets stung yes. by a porcupine. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is a That was the point. one thing I remembered too. So I know Shadow and Chance. I can't think of the name of the cat. Sassy. Sassy. Who uses her? Of course, her, Sarah would remember that. Wilds to get food, <laughs> and she's the only one that can like get them food from the wild because she learns how to fish. <laughs> is that so? There's the porcupine. Is there ever a bear in this movie? I do not remember that. I, I'm remembering a movie as a kid where there was a, a, cats and dogs trying to travel somewhere, and there was a bear, but it may be a different one. You're thinking of Brother Bear. I don't know. Incorrect. <laughs> it was not animated. It may have been Milo and Otis, but that is a different that story. That is a different story. So. It does have a cat and a dog. I do know this is a remake. Inter- what was the original movie then? It was it was Homeward Bound. Okay. It just, they didn't talk. Oh. It was like... <sighs> Silent film. It, well, it wasn't strange. a silent film. So, they just... What was it then? Was there... Do you know anything? Was there a narration then? How did they tell the yeah, story it was, if it was it just was, animals? It was narration. Okay. Um, oh, it was it was called The Incredible Journey. It was 1963. And I've actually wow. seen it. Um, but it was it was three animals and they they journeyed to get home, but they don't talk. There's just kind of visuals showing the journey. But basically the same kind of idea. I saw it 
at some point. Yeah. So, Mark, you saw this one as a child, I'm hoping. <laughs> yes. so far... I don't remember much about it now, because I think I've only seen it maybe once or twice in my life. So it'll be interesting to see it again now. I remember really liking it when I was younger, but... So you guys excited for some Homeward Bound, I'm hoping? I am very excited. Yeah. All right, so what we're going to try with ending the show uh, is going to be the classic 80s ending to every television show where, guys, I learned something today, which is me telling you a moral that I learned from this story we just saw and talking over it with each other. So, guys, I learned something today watching this movie, discussing it with you here, taught me a lesson that I want to share with you and our wonderful listening audience. That sometimes you don't need to go on an adventure. Sometimes it's not worth endangering a forever child's life just to go seek out the person that you've lost. Sometimes they'll come back to you and we can just stay home. That'll do it for this episode of Retrograding. Thanks for tuning in. to games we should really get a sound clip to bring us into this i'll make one later <laughs> oh you're not gonna freestyle this one i am oh, not terrible all right oh <laughs> i don't even remember what her other song was now. Uh, something about where are they now we haven't used it yet because that section has not come up <laughs> we had ve- we had very high hopes <laughs>